Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. I think it's so neat that you're able to join us through this medium, and it means so much to me personally to hear that this has been used to encourage so many of you. It has always been the posture of Genesis to tangibly extend the love of Jesus in various ways, both locally and across the world. We support programs that assist families in need, contribute to ongoing works and building projects in Mexico. We've built a latrine and cafeteria for St. Andre's School in Haiti, as well as are advancing a food program there that we hope will help feed the children for years to come. The money collected for all these endeavors could have paid for a facility of our own many times over, but instead, we've intentionally chosen to be a mobile community since we began. We now have before us an opportunity to invest in a building of our own. We are not doing this, however, without considering the works we are committed to or even the works we feel compelled to keep doing in the future. But we're asking, if you've benefited from this podcast or from anything that Genesis has done, would you consider partnering with us by donating to this work directly at www.thegenesisstory.com and click on the Building Fund tab. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Together, let's prepare for an amazing tomorrow. Thanks, and God bless. Okay, we good? So open up to 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to go from verses 1 through six, or one through five. Um, You know, really what Peter is doing is teaching us how we do family, not how we do church. At this time, there was not the time yet for it to become an organization like we have. And church really was family. It was the people who you uh, knew and spent time with. And it's important that he sees this as a family and that we see it as a family too, that we, we don't lose sight of the connection that is supposed to take place, especially as we start talking about leadership, which is what he's going to be talking about here. Because when he talks about leadership, there tends to be the ability to uh, differentiate between uh, people because of position. And that doesn't happen really that much in family. I mean, yeah, you might have someone who's the dad and then you have the kids. But then amongst the kids, for example, or cousins, you're all kind of family. You, you all have the same right to the dinner table and you have the same right to open the refrigerator and I know it's all around food. That's the Italian coming out. You know, you you have the same really uh, responsibilities to each other in so many ways. And and so having that understanding as a foundation when we talk about leadership is really important so that we don't make it something that it wasn't and that it is supposed to be. I got my back turned to you guys here. Let me back up a little bit. So let's read verses 1 through 5. So I exhort the elders among you as fellow as a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. 
Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, clothe yourself all of you with humility toward one another for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Even in chapter one, Peter said that God was our father and what God wants is for the world to become family, that he came after us, so to speak, with his son. And when Peter thought of church you know, and all that was taking place, they, they were scattered, they were being persecuted. He thought of them as family. This is the family of God. This is God's family. And God is wanting to connect to his family. And he sees them in this way, and he sees himself as a part of that family. Peter had a, an understanding of the Old Testament being a Jew, he knew the scriptures, had been educated in them. And so this idea of a shepherd is something that was very central throughout their culture and in the scripture. In Ezekiel, it talks about the shepherd in a number of places, chapter 6, chapter 9 and 10, it gives some understanding as well. And it gives a picture of the unfaithful shepherd and what that looks like. And what's going to happen is we will either be a family that is part of God's work in the world, or we will be people in opposition to what God is doing. In Ezekiel 9 and 10, there's this picture of the people living in opposition to God. And then the glory of God leaves the temple and because of their actions. And it's like a sad chapter as we see their lack of, of concern for what God wants result in God's absence. And I know that a lot of us maybe have known churches that had great people involved with the churches, lovely people that are there who want to be used by God, who, who want to know what God wants to do in their life, but the leadership maybe uh, stopped that from happening uh, maybe was domineering in some way, uh, more interested in maintaining a status or having people come to the church. And so it, it all becomes about how do we keep the organization running? And, and those are the kinds of things that when that starts to happen, there's an absence of what God is doing because what God has wanted to do is going to show up in people. And when it starts moving to this area of organization, we find that there's an absence of God there because that's being filled by something else. And we don't ever want to get to that place. And so Peter is talking now about those who are going to have positions of leadership, those who are leading and those who are being led. And as he speaks about these things, it starts with this idea of humility. He starts off, I exhort you elders among you as a fellow elder. 
and the witnessing of the sufferings of Christ. Now, he could have said, as an apostle, he could have said, as, you know, Peter, I'm in all the Gospels, right? Of course, they weren't all written at the time, probably. But he, he could have said, you know, Peter, as, you know, to be a saint soon and the first pope. You know, I mean, he, he could have said, a little jab at our Catholic friends. You know, he, he could have put these things out about his credentials, but he starts off as a fellow elder. I'm one of you. And I love that because, you know, Peter knew who he was. And in the account that we are aware of, we're aware of Peter denying the Lord three times. It's there in the Gospels. And then we know the account where Jesus restores Peter and, and he asks Peter three times, do you love me? And Peter says, I love you. And he says, then feed my sheep. And he asks him, do you love me? He goes, you know, I love you. He said, feed my lambs. Do you love me? And he's hurt and he's grieved. And he says, you know all things. You know that I love you. And again, he tells him to feed his sheep. And you see, this was Jesus's commission to Peter. He restored the given call to feed his sheep. In other words, I need you to do this. And if you love me, this is going to be what you do. And, and so he calls him into this place to shepherd the flock of God. And, and that's what it says here. He says, shepherd the flock of God. In verse 2, shepherd the flock of God, not your own flock. In other words, this is God's people. They're not your people. The people who come to Genesis, they're not my people. I don't own anybody. I don't know any of you, okay? I can't tell any of you what to do, you know, and you expect you to do it, you know? It's like, Mary, make me some coffee. You know, I'm not going to say that. You know, I'm not going to ask, who are you? It's like, that's just weird, you know? And so having an understanding that, People belong to him. They don't belong to us. And as leaders, how crucial and foundational is that? You know, you're to shepherd the flock of God. That's what he's calling us to do. Those who are among us, those who are around us, that is what we're called to do. Shepherd his flock, not our flock, to shepherd them. Shepherd them means to lead them, to guide them in these areas that are going to help them to see God more clearly. It's our responsibility. And it says exercising oversight. And now we see that there's supposed to be a position where you see and oversee them. And that position is the responsibility. Exercising oversight. In other words, exercising, you have to show oversight. You can't just say, yeah, we're all here, no problem, anyone do what you want. There has to be some idea of oversight in this area, but it's not under compulsion, but willingly. And this is always heart-searching for me, because I don't do anyone any good if I am doing what I do because I feel I have to and not because I want to. If this becomes duty, if this becomes, oh man, I just got to do this, otherwise I'm going to, you know, I won't have, you know, my job or if I don't do this, um, you know, then I, I really 
I don't know, whatever the reasons might be, you know, feel like there's this need to, I'm going to let people down. I don't want to let people down. If it's not something that I want to do, then something's wrong. And just to be honest with you, there are some Sunday mornings I get up and I don't want to do this. I don't want to get up and go Sunday morning. I'm tired. I feel frustrated. I feel, uh, you know, unable you know, the thing is, if you wake up and feel like I don't want to go and you don't go, okay, if I get up and say I don't want to go and don't go, it's like there's going to be 35 minutes of nothing going on. You know, it'll be like something's up. So I kind of have to go. But, you know, when I feel that, when I feel that, man, I'm just like, this is becoming a labor. I have to ask myself, why? Why is this a labor? Is this something that I want to do? And Sometimes I feel like I'm encouraging people to know God. It's like I'm standing at, at the the you know the train station, and I'm the guy who, who's clicking and making sure people have the tickets to get on the train, and I'm asking them to get on the train, and I'm saying, oh man, this train is great. It's filled with an awareness of God and the life that God gives and all these good things, and the people are getting on the train, and they're like, yes, this is the life that I'm supposed to live, and this is great, and it's great, but sometimes I can actually be so busy just making sure people get on the train that I don't actually get on the train. You know, and God didn't call me to use me. God called me to love me. And I've got to understand that. And anyone who's leading has to know that because that's where it begins. God didn't call you because you're so great and he needs to use you. God called you because he loves you. And it's from there that our service is born. And it's from there that we have a willingness to do what we do. It's from there that it becomes something that I do, not because I feel I have to, but it's something I want to do. And we as leaders have to be the one that demonstrate this being loved and then are willing to love. We have to be examples of that because I think that's what needs to be seen. I think that's what needs to be known above all the other things and potentials that are there. That's what we really need for people to know. And he tells us, he goes on further as he, he kind of pushes this along. He says, as God would have you, how do we do what, or yeah, how we do what we do is more important than what we do sometimes or where we do it. In other words, the attitude that we do this in, as God would have us do it, that's what's important. How we do what we do is often more important even than what we do. And I've said this about everything. I, I have said this about whatever you do for work. God doesn't care if you're a plumber or electrician as much as he cares about your character as a plumber or electrician. And the same thing goes in the position of a leader, a pastor. God doesn't care so much that you're a pastor. He cares about the way you pastor. He cares about the attitude that you have. He cares about the character of all of us. And that's where he's going to. Again, it's going to the heart of this. God doesn't care that you're a father. He cares how you father. He cares about how you're a husband, how you're a wife. Not that you are one. 
And so this idea of, okay, yeah, I'm in this role of leadership, that doesn't mean anything. How do you lead? Is it as God would have you to do? And what we do needs to look like Jesus. And what we do that looks like Jesus is going to cost us our time because we care. It's going to cost us our concern, our affection. It's going to cost us a good part of our lives. It's going to cost us something to be able to lead as God would have us to do. And so there has to be an awareness that if you're going to be in a position of leadership, it's going to cost you because it's going to require all of you, that character of who you are. And so it's not something you just say, well, I want to be this. I want to do that. No, this is something that we, again, step into because, yeah, we want to, but more than that is because we're loved by God and we love others. That's what God wants and how God wants us to do. So he says, as God would have you, and he says, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. If you're going to do this because you want money, then you got to keep the people happy. Got to give them what they want or they won't keep coming back. And sometimes what people need and what they want are different. You know, and it's interesting because some people always say, oh, yeah, you know, you're just giving people all this fluffy, you know, kind of message that just makes them feel good. But I found that the same is true on the opposite. In other words, people like getting this talk that just condemns. Oftentimes they feel like, yes, that I needed that. And so sometimes a condemning talk is doing the same thing. You're giving people what they expect, and it might not be what they need. Maybe people need to be aware of their forgiveness and liberated from the bondage of sin and that's harping on them of how just guilty they are and how they don't read enough and how they don't pray enough. I mean, I could always say that every Sunday and convict everybody. If I were to tell you guys all here tonight, you guys, you're not reading enough. You're not spending enough time in prayer. If you would devote yourself to, to prayer and to fasting and to reading, then God would, all of us would start going, yeah, I guess I could do that, right? It's easy to kind of rally the troops in this way as well. And so doing this for, you know, shameful gain can mean a lot of things. It's not just financial. Sometimes it's positional, I'm doing this to gain status. I'm doing this to gain, you know, respect. I'm doing this to gain a title. And we can do these things for lots of different reasons. And we're not to do it for any of those reasons. We're supposed to do it eagerly. You know, I'm not big on titles, as you guys know, because I, I think it does more harm than good. When people start thinking of leaders to do something, then it takes away responsibility for them to do it. It's kind of like that job where, you know, well, I, it's not my job. That's the manager's job or that's so-and-so's job. It's not my job. And it's like, well, can't you just sweep the floor so no one trips and hurts themselves? Well, it's not my job. That's the, you know, custodian's job or whatever it is. Well, for goodness sakes, you know, it's not hard if you want to care for what you're doing. 
And sometimes this positional attitude starts to become an excuse. Well, it's not my job to go and talk to people about Jesus. That's the pastor's job. No, it's all of our jobs. And so this idea of titles sometimes are a problem. And if I have to tell someone that I'm their pastor, then I'm probably not their pastor. You know, because you would be following your pastor, not being forced to follow your pastor. And so if you're having requiring people to call you a title, then you're probably not actually owning that title. And so the title and the doesn't mean a whole lot to me. The responsibility I take seriously. I, I want to be a person who exercises this oversight, someone who who tries to help people in what we're trying to do as a family and as a community, and, and we're supposed to do it eagerly. There's again one of those things that motivation is important. You know, some people want a title or position more than they want to serve. And it's not like I really want to do this. It's just like, well, I want to get recognition. And, and I got to tell you, this eagerness ebbs and flows, at least it does with me. It probably does with you guys too. There's some days, man, I'm real motivated. And some days, man, I'm not so motivated. I'm just kind of dragging and it's difficult. There's times where I really am wanting to and there's times where we need to take a break. Sometimes we do need to back off because if this is going on only because I'm doing it, in other words, if Genesis is only happening because I'm doing this, then I'm probably hindering it more than helping it. If people are doing things because of what I'm doing and I back off and the things they do keep on going, then something good is happening. Because then I'm doing something that's causing them to do something. But if it's only just because I'm doing it, then I have to step back and say, okay, am I crippling people? You know, am I the person who, who's, am I the mom who's always picking the kid up and making sure that they don't fall and the kid never learns how to walk because I'm always just guiding them. Oh, I'm not going to let them fall, not going to let them fall. If they don't fall, they're not going to learn how to walk because they fall a lot, right? Grandson just fell today. Um, they fall. Why? Because that's what happens when you start to learn how to walk. And so if I'm doing this, I got to doing this eagerly. And sometimes I need to take a break so that I can maintain that eagerness. Um, remember, God gave us Sabbath. He, he wanted us to have time to pause, reflect. And I think it's good. And remember, God chose you to love you, not to use you. And so if God chose me to love me, then sometimes I need to allow that to be what I'm doing and not just being used. Because I start putting the love of God into the usefulness and pretty soon I'm doing busy. I, God loves me, so I got to do this. I love God, so I got to do this. And sometimes I got to stop and say, no, God loves me even if I do nothing. Even when I just sit here and relax and am quiet. God still loves me. I don't have to always be doing something. So eagerly means I have to have the energy, but sometimes to have the energy, I need to take a break. And I think we all do in so many areas of our lives. He goes on and he says, not domineering over those in your charge. Now, Peter got this from Jesus, okay? In Matthew chapter 20, 
verses 25 to 28, it says, But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus taught his disciples this, okay? He came to give himself a ransom for many. And then remember, he washed their feet, giving himself as that example. Peter saw that firsthand. Peter said, you're not going to wash my feet and Jesus said, no, I I need to do this. If I don't do this, you don't have a part of me. And and what an amazing thing is that you need to allow service to be a part of your life, receiving as well as giving. And some of us have a hard time receiving. I do. Sometimes it's harder to receive than it is to give. And you have to just kind of be grateful. Thank you. I appreciate that. I, I, I know that that's good for me. It puts me in a humble position because if someone's giving something to me, then it's showing me that there is a need in a sense. Remember when Jesus sent them out to go and take this message out, he sent them two by two and he says, don't take purse, don't take shoes, but go and then ask if peace be there and if they say yes, you can go in. Why couldn't they take a purse? Why couldn't they take shoes? What's wrong with shoes? What's wrong with having a wallet or a purse? And the whole idea is you have nothing. You go there and you go there in need. And then from that place of need opens up the opportunity to receive. And so here is this idea of not domineering those who are in your charge. We need to have this kind of attitude Jesus allowed children to come to him. Jesus spoke to a Samaritan woman. Jesus touched unclean lepers. Jesus washed me. All these things are the attitude that Jesus had, which isn't one of domineering, okay? Being examples to the flock, he says. Not domineering, those in charge, but being examples. And this can be a bit daunting, really, to be an example to people, whoever you're leading to be an example to them, because how do I be an example to everybody? How can I be an example? I don't know how to meet everybody's needs. I just don't have that. It's not about being perfect. It's about being genuine in my relationship with Jesus. And I I think that's what I've learned most and am learning most, that to be in a position of pastor, to be in a position of leader, it's not my job to meet everybody's needs. It's my job to demonstrate what it is to have a genuine relationship that's reliant on Jesus. And so how do you do that? You help people to understand that. But how do I exemplify that and it has to show up in my life by being that example. You see, people learn how to be generous by seeing generosity. People learn how to be loving by seeing people act in a loving way. People learn how not to be judgmental by recognizing or being called on those areas where we're judgmental. And so if someone says something and I think it's a little judgmental, I have a responsibility to be an example to show them a different way. 
to help them to see it in a different way. Because that really is important. It's about being the example more than just telling them, don't do that, do do this, stop that. You don't teach someone by just telling them things to do and not to do. You give them the ability to learn so that next time that happens, they stop doing that. See, how do I stop being rude? Well, I become aware of when I am rude. And then I start realizing that, okay, this is rude. And you know where that's hardest is with your family, right? But this is what he's called us to, family. See, it's easy for me to say something to Corrine, and I don't think it's rude. I just expect it. And then I get a look, and I go, oh, that was rude. You know, I shouldn't have said it that way. I'm sorry. Could you maybe, you know, then I have to eat crow and and just recognize that I wasn't doing it in the right attitude. I wasn't being that example. He goes on, he says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. The motivation is to please the chief shepherd. It's to do something that he looks at and says, great, that's doing a good job. Again, it really is relational. It's about this kind of attitude. And likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Again, this is the idea of family. The elders are to be working in this way for the benefit of the others, for the benefit of the world. This isn't a transaction deal that you do this and then you get that. This is us sitting at the table serving one another. And those who are younger need to recognize that those who are the elders who are making the decisions and stuff, they're doing this so that you can eat. They're doing this so that you can benefit. They're doing this for that. And again, that idea of family is so important and not that of management, okay? This isn't a managerial role. You might have responsibilities. You might have to manage things, but this is a relational aspect, And it's something that's supposed to take place in that way. And when we start working together, when we we start submitting to the work that is going on, we see beautiful things happen. I mean, we've done beautiful things here at Genesis. And it's because people have submitted to the things that are, we built a a cafeteria in Haiti. Why did that happen? Because people submitted financially that to make that happen. And so this idea of submitting ourselves, being subject to the elders, that's what it looks like. It looks like, okay, we're going to take shoes to the kids at the orphanage in Mexico. We need you to bring the shoes. Okay, that's being subject. Okay, if I bring a pair of shoes, it's because someone told me to and see what happens when you do. And that's what it's supposed to look like. It's supposed to look like there is a benefit that happens when we're in subject to what God is doing in our family. And that happens on those kinds of instances where we're doing something for outside, but it also happens in areas in our lives where you're subject and people sit down and maybe talk to you and say, hey, man, you're having struggles in this area and and we want to help you through it. 
Can we help you get into a facility that might help with some of your addiction? Or can we help you in these kinds of areas? It's something that shows up. But for that to happen, what needs to happen is what he says later on, where he talks about verse, the end of verse 5, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Clothe yourselves, all of you. That's elders, young men, all of you. Clothe yourselves with humility. The only way this works is if we're humble and we see others more important than ourselves. That's the only way this ever works because that's what Jesus did. Jesus, who didn't have to see us as better than himself, the only one who could see us as better than all of us, saw himself or submitted himself under us. You know, we can argue about so many things. You know, people who are of different denominations. You know, I I have so many disagreements, say, with a a Calvinism. And and then I can start to look at myself and a person who holds these positions as less than because of their position. And that's wrong. Humility still sees them as more important, even if I don't agree with their position. We can do it politically. Politically. Oh, they're Democrat, and, and they voted for Hillary. And oh, they're Republican, they voted for Trump. And I can't stand Hillary. I can't stand Trump. And we don't see them as more important ourselves. I don't have to agree with them, but I have to see them as more important. How do you respond to that person if they're more important to you? See, that's what humility looks like. That, that's how it shows up. And, and so many things we can debate about in church but there's never the permission to think ourselves above another person. There's never that position. And this so much reminds me of this story in John chapter 8 with the woman caught in adultery, right? They bring her before Jesus, and they're all telling her the law says that we're to stone her. And you guys know the story that Jesus just writes on the ground and he stops and he says, whoever is without sin, let them cast the first stone. And then they they all kind of bow their heads and there's this kind of shame that they recognize that they don't have the ability to judge because they're not without sin. And from oldest to youngest, they leave. And then Jesus is left there alone with the woman. And so... Jesus has the conversation. He says, where are your accusers? And she says, there's none, Lord. And he says, neither do I condemn you. And so many people will say, but then he goes on and he says, go and, you know, leave your life of sin. And so it's my job to, you know, tell people that they're to leave their life of sin. And so, you know, I have this position where I'm supposed to tell people how they're supposed to live. And it's my role as a leader or as a pastor to tell people to leave this life of sin. And I always think, okay, wait a second, stop. So you see yourself as Jesus in that story, right? Because I see myself as the person with the stones. And I see Jesus as telling me that I have to put down the stones. That I'm not there to condemn. I don't have the right to act like Jesus. I'm not him. 
I'm not the one who gets to tell people, you need to leave that life of sin. I need to put down my stone and let Jesus tell that person what needs to be done. It's not my job to make people behave. It's my job to put down the stones and to love them. And sometimes loving is having the difficult conversation. But it's never in the position of I'm over and going to bring condemnation. And so it's important that we see this idea of humility. Clothing ourselves with humility towards one another for God opposes the proud, but what he gives grace to the humble. You see, a person who is less than will go to a person and say, excuse me, can I help in this area? Not, I'm going to tell you what's wrong. And for some reason, we have a hard time with this in the area of leadership, where we think we have the right to start telling people how to live, and it's not in the spirit of humility. And so what happens is people close up and we stop the grace of God from showing up because the proud is giving oppression that people are going to resist. And so instead of seeing ourselves in a position like Jesus, sometimes maybe what we need to do is see ourselves as the ones who are holding the stones. And Jesus saying, you need to put down the stone. You don't have the right. Let those who are without sin cast that first stone. And so those are the people we need to be. And Jesus then can tell them where they need to go. Are there any questions or thoughts on this area of leadership? No? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your example of leadership, that all this makes sense because we see it in you. We see humility. We see you as a servant, Lord. We see you doing this willingly, not because you're forced to, that you gave your life willingly. No one could take it from you, that you laid it down yourself. Father, I thank you that this is a place to check our hearts, to check my heart, and to recognize again what, what you're wanting from us if we're going to be in positions of leadership. And I pray for everyone here who is leading in some way, in some capacity, Lord, that this would be an encouragement to them. I pray, Father, that if they are struggling in this area, if they feel they have to, and it's not something that they willingly want to do, Lord, that they would work this out with you. And Lord, maybe it means that they need to take a break. Maybe it means stepping back and regenerating. Maybe it means bringing someone else to assist. Lord, may we be able to move forward in a way that's healthy, God. And I pray for myself, Lord, as a pastor and a leader, that I would exercise oversight and that I would have these qualities, Lord, within me and help me to be better at them, help me to take my responsibility seriously. Um, and Father, I do pray that there would always be humility in all of us and in all that we do. I ask it in Jesus' name.
You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.